You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the... 2000s certified Canadian classic ginger snaps. They don't howl. No, yeah, they just like eat people. Yeah, they or dogs more specifically. If you are a dog lover and you have a problem with dogs getting disemboweled, do I have the film for you to avoid? The dogs do die. And I mean, there is like targeted dog napping sprees basically there is a dog killing spree it's not just like that dogs are killed off screen no no there's all sorts of uh, implied or actual dog violence yeah that is um very very true i am happy to be doing this film with you you know me i love dark girls death obsessed uh type ladies i like werewolves i like canadian films and stuff like that this is a film that i never thought that you and i would ever do because uh you had mentioned several times casually it's not like you were screaming about it or anything you got better things to do than that but you had mentioned that you don't really like this film and Usually when you're telling me that, I kind of file it away as we're not going to be doing this one because why would we openly talk about a film that one of us really did not like? Then you get a rabbit season, duck season, strangers pray at night type situation where we're not really getting anywhere. But you suggested this film. I did in a rare case of... I've rewatched a movie and it's actually not all bad. Like the original Suspiria. (laughs) I watched the original Suspiria again when the remake came out just to like ready myself. And I love Tilda Swinton, but I do not like the Suspiria remake. It made me appreciate the original. And I even on my own decided I'd like the original Suspiria a hell of a lot more than I ever fucking did. So Ginger Snaps, I thought, okay, it's on Shudder. It's Halloween-y. It's a classic. People love it. There's got to be something wrong with me. Well, I know there's something wrong with me, (laughs) but I hated this movie. I I watched it when it first came out, and I did not understand why people liked it so much. Years later, I've never understood why people liked it so much and why it had such a huge cult following. There's reasons I understand, sure, the Canadian angle of it, the female angle of it, those sorts of things. There's very few werewolf movies, so you sort of have to embrace the bad with the good. Mm -hmm. And all of those reasons just didn't work for me. It didn't make it a good movie for me. So I was also going on my recollection of having watched it a long time ago Mm -hmm. where it really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So I rewatched it and uh, yeah, it's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) I do. And I do appreciate it. I can appreciate it a lot, a lot more. And I can sort of parse out why it rubbed me the wrong way so badly when I first watched it. And a lot of those things like, We are talking off air before the show. Tastes change. They just do. I had wondered why you didn't like this film. And I don't, uh, let me just put this on front street. I I, I don't want to come off as like 
I always knew it was a great film and you were going to come around. I don't want to come at it like that. I, 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 when I saw this, it was the year 2000. Okay. Times were different. I was quite young in the year 2000. I was not even 18 years old yet. I was 16, 17 or whatever. And so this type of movie came at me in a very uh, hormonal adolescent I liked the gore. The girls are pretty. Like, what's not to like for a, a, a young, enterprising teenage boy, right? And so I would wonder if, like, was it the fact that... Because watching the film again, I got this really weird sense from the writer. Uh, the, the writer, Karen something. I can't remember the name of the woman who wrote this. I've got the names up here. Karen Walton. Oh, Karen Walton. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, she wrote this, and I was having a hard time parsing. Is she a dark, alt-gothy chick who hates preppy girls, or is she a preppy girl that hates dark alt-chicks? Because <laughs> it, in, in, either, in either case, you can make an argument for one or the other. Especially when you're getting to the real meat, uh, pardon the pun, of the film. Or is she just trying to tell a coming-of-age story about women and and it just so happens that one of them... Do you, you remember that old SNL uh, skit, Goth Talk, with like Chris Kattan? Oh, yes, I do. That was my king. <laughs> that... It, like I swear to God, the very beginning of this movie, these two sisters may as well be like on an episode of Goth Talk because <laughs> the way they're talking about suicide, the way that they're uh, photographing things for school, the fact that they're not only have these proclivities, but they are getting off on the darkity dark, dark, dark of it. And I don't mean that condescendingly. I love people who love this sort of things. I'm, I totally get it. But this seemed parodic. Very much so. And that's where representation is a double-edged sword. I've seen some talk, which is like minimal, but totally justified that maybe uh, Michael Myers is homophobic because he kills gay people in the most recent film. Oh man, I have some and thoughts And it's like, that. whoa, <laughs> gay people exist, man. You know, mm -hmm. and they can, they can get dead too. They can kill people. They can go crazy. They can be sane. They can be whatever the fuck they want to be. And whatever the fuck a writer decides that his narrator has decided that the character is going to be. Mm -hmm. So like, wow. Representation does cut both ways though. So me as a teen, seeing goth representation, it's a fucking 50-50 toss up. Whether I fucking hated it or fucking loved it. Mm -hmm. Goth talk I love. Ginger snaps I didn't. And it is like... It's that exactly. And it's you could do that for any subsector of society. Absolutely any faith, creed, what have you. That the representation is going to cut 50-50 depending on the person. It's completely subjective. So there's no way that you can really guess <laughs> on how this is going to be taken. It's going to be taken wrong by somebody. It's going to be taken right by other people. I've met so many people who love this film and felt seen and felt represented and felt a positivity from this, whether it is uh, Ginger or Bridget, depending. I fucking hated both of them. I fucking hated both of them. And I felt attacked, not seen. I felt attacked. So I can totally commiserate with people who have seen a darker side of representation where 
it's represented but in a negative light or they feel they've got it wrong Feruza Balk did not do a good job in the craft of being a goth in my opinion nor did they do a good job of being fucking witches I was disturbed by that movie and did not like it I've come around to a certain extent there's a lot of problems with it as far as occultism or goth behavior. And funnily enough, I'm the opposite on the craft. Uh, I rewatched the craft as an adult and I was like, oh man, did I just like it because it had pretty girls in it? Like, is that why I just like this movie? Because <laughs> I didn't like it at all when I watched it again. I was like, this sucks. No, it's like, it's super cringe. And as far as witchcraft goes, I liked practical magic better, <laughs> really honestly. And no one fucking talks about practical magic. It has a lame-ass ending, but I liked Practical Magic better than the craft. Sorry, is that my goth cred fucking dipping down point by point as I talk? Yeah. Um, That's so fucking good, man. Uh, so you did view it as parodic, like where, where it was like making fun of people who are goth. People who are goth and the maladjusted as well, specifically in Bridget's case. It was specifically Bridget's character that I was, that I felt attacked to a certain degree. And also just a lot of like, it's the antisocial behavior of the sisters via V their camaraderie and with other people. And the fact that they have an idea to exact some sort of revenge, even though it is a hokey revenge, like, no. Antisocial people just want to fucking get away from the school people, especially bullies, far away. They want to cease to exist in their eyes, become invisible, and not do things to perpetuate this fucking endless cycle of bullshit. They want it to stop. So that they instigated something was just wrong to me. It just, it did not sit right with their characters as they'd been established, if I could have even sat comfortably with the characters at that time when I was something like 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what, as you watch this film again, what was it in particular that made you ease up on the representation a little bit? What made you kind of, for example, if Bridget was the main character that you had a problem with, was it that you met people that were like her over the course of your life since you first saw it? Or did you see that people could be like her? What was it? I became less like her myself and could reflect back on my own experience as a Bridget. <laughs> very much okay. so. Because I was very much a Bridget in so many ways. Um, and, and maybe even worse than Bridget. You know, if I would have been cast as Bridget, they might have said, oh, she's too morose and too skulky and too greasy or something like they would have maybe cast, oh, maybe a better person like Emily Perkins for this role. So I definitely grew out of my own Bridgetness and could look back and reflect on it. And at the time when I was 25, there wasn't really so much with the scene kids, emo kids. There wasn't um, a real good representation of a pro-death or even a, any suicide positivity or right to death movement. There was nothing, none of that. So it's not that it, that sat badly with me or uh, I wasn't like necessarily triggered in that way. It was that they couldn't have gotten away with their sideshow, period, at all. They would have had the fucking cops called on them. Yes. In the 2000s. Nowadays, there's um, a way bigger avenue for artistic expression and death positivity, goth thinkings, occult thinkings, all of those things. The, all that stuff 
is so much more in pace. The movie has aged incredibly well from the way that it's shot and all of that, the, the award-winning cinematography and sound design, all of that stuff. It's definitely aged well as a film, but the, the motivations behind it have aged incredibly well as well. Very, very interesting. Um, I wonder if when looking at this and thinking about it when I was watching it last night, I kept thinking to myself, these girls are definitely goth, but there's bleed over in what was taken from goth and turned into emo. And in the night in in the two thousands, you were on that cultural uh, cusp, the precipice of emo with bands like MCR and Fall Out Boy and, and all that kind of stuff, pushing more goth subculture to the mainstream. Because emo really is just combining things from various forms of goth and punk and sort of making its own little mishmash and then the music being what it was. As I used to like say to uh, some of my younger friends where they're like, were you like an, an emo kid in high school, Wes, because you like this sort of stuff? And I was like, dude, I was emo before there was emo, okay? Like there was not a word for what I was, but what I was was emo for sure. There was no word for it. And so what I found interesting about that was it was hard to put a finger on these sisters in the sense of like what exactly they were. But I will say that um, now speaking to what you were talking about it aging really well, since so much of the goth sub subculture was cannibalized by other newer subcultures that evolved from the baseline of goth, that probably has a huge factor about why this film is as effective or more effective to a wider range of people nowadays. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head with that bleed over into emo and, and scene kids and hipsters. Even. Yes. Uh, all of those things borrow from the gothic subculture in the biggest way. And I don't want to be like old guard trad goth about it, but I do have a copy of Encyclopedia Gothica by Lisa Lettisser. Ooh, expert on goth. Oh, she absolutely is an expert on goth. And she would point out the same thing that I point out. There's no goth music in this movie. Yes. Period. And they do have emo proclivities. And in Encyclopedia Gothica, under E, if I turn the pages, past Elvira to emo, it simply says, not goth. So I'll close the book. We've closed the book. That is it. We've solved it. It's not goth. It is definitely emo. But they do have this a death obsession, mm -hmm. which I feel, because I'm not a, a diehard trad goth about the music, because it is a musical movement by and large, yet there are fashion and philosophical components to this subculture, and there's no way that you can refute that. Mm -hmm. the, the death obsession definitely fits, and it's definitely what is enticing. Mm -hmm. And it is definitely the, the few things that I found entertaining when I was 25, and something that I find just so fun now that I'm older, because it is done in a very fun way. And yes, it does tip into parody, but I would have loved to create this slideshow and the photos that these girls did. So cool. And I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anybody. And now I'm going to tell the whole world that everybody, because everybody listens to our show. But I'm going to say 
that when I first saw this, again, I was 16, 17 years old, the beginning of this film fucking scared me. Not in the sense that I am scared by the grotesque imagery or the dark conversations between these two sisters. It scared me in the sense that, yo, like, are you telling me that, like, girls like this exist? Are you telling me that, like, there's, there's like, people that talk about this kind of stuff, like, that hardcore? That's, like, scary. It seemed dangerous. They seemed dangerous to me. They seemed like, you know, you don't want to... The, the fact that, like, people were bullying them, I would just be like, you out of your fucking mind? Like, Ginger is going to fucking stab you. Like, and I don't mean, like, stab you. I mean fucking stab you leave her alone dude like they don't want to talk to you (laughs) i'm sure it changed the perception of those quiet or goth or dark girls antisocial girls where it wasn't just like what's her problem now you know what her problem is you have an idea from this film yeah yeah because it's like i was like these two women in this film there is no subject that is not taboo to them they will openly discuss everything with their mother their father friends teachers they they are not constrained whatsoever and when i was young i was very much allured by people like that and i wanted to get closer to them because i had these dark feelings in myself too but i was at the end of the day a quite a, like the, the sisters i just was a suburban kid right like i just like lived in a nice house and had a nice family and and we had a dog and and like it was that but like i there was so much like you have so many emotions you have so many dark thoughts you have all this kind of stuff that you felt like you couldn't express and then when you wanted to get into the subculture I think nowadays people are so loosey goosey with there's always going to be an old guard that sort of gatekeeps. I'm not including you in that. Cause I don't think you're that type of person at all. But like back then, like for fuck's sake, like you wouldn't even wear a band t-shirt to a fucking band. You hadn't seen live. You know what I'm saying? So like, I would feel like I'd be like inching towards them. Like the, in the Simpsons where like Homer's going towards the second base mobile while Frankenstein plays and it's like and then they all look at him and then he's all the way back in the corner because he's not cool enough to hang with those kids I feel like I would want to get to know these people but then and and in a weird way try to like well if I'm hanging out with her I'm legit because they're legit so if they think I'm cool then I'm also legit but I was too scared to go and talk to them (laughs) If that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. And it's very true that back in the day, so to speak, that these fucking barriers existed. Gatekeeping was way more harsh and it was overt and it was loudly proclaimed. Yeah. And I was, I think that part of why I've never played a gatekeeping role is having been ousted from so many of my interests because of things like being female or being too young or being too old or being like whatever because ageism has actually been the bigger barrier to a lot of those things but being deemed a poser within the punk scene immediately and then that's your gateway to goth for a lot of people especially in north america Mm -hmm. and then there's no access granted after that oh my god find uh, a circuitous route on your own in your room, which is the proper way to become a goth, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
and not through other means or cliques or peers or whatever as much as on your fucking own and you know other people would disagree with me definitely because they found that route through peers and cliques and stuff like that yeah but yeah the gatekeeping was so real and so harsh and the gatekeeping exists in horror definitely so it's a lot of times we have those other gatekeeping problems in other societal venues so that the gatekeeping in horror doesn't seem so fucking big to us (laughs) it really really does like i mean fuck back then like like it seems so silly, but like you know when t- you talk about like preppy kids and the like they're like and you're like the 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 popular girl in school says that you're wearing the wrong shoes and all of a sudden that ruins your life or like you got something at Byway or Giant Tiger and everybody knows it and you can't hang out with them anymore, and then they're just like, well, I'm gonna go to the punk kids, fucking insufferable because you're even doing that wrong. Like you can't even be poor, right? Like you can't, you can't even you you've listened to the wrong bands. You you have the wrong patches on your jacket. That doesn't count. Say nothing for goth, but like it, there was so many. It, it just seems so intimate to the point which I still have vestiges of that in me now. Where like I have tons of friends in like the punk and goth scene, and when they want me to go to shows with them or to go to a goth night at a bar or something like that. I don't even want to go because I think I don't count. I don't know what I am, but I don't count. I'm sure of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Although I think that you could pass just fine because you own many black clothes, almost all black clothes. And your rings are very goth. And (laughs) now that your hair is a little longer, you can flip it out of your eye or flip it back into your eye. You know, yeah, see, you you got it. I can see him, guys. You can't see him. He's got the hair flat yeah. down pat. All he needs is an eye roll because Wes is not an eye roll kind of guy. I'm too positive. To sit in the dark corner if there's one available. I think what this film really embodies to me is like these sisters never declare themselves fucking anything. It's us to interpret what they are. And I think that's like being a horror fan, being a punk fan, being a goth fan emo scene, any sort of subculture that you want to be, it's not a light switch that you turn on. It never is. It is one day you kind of realize this is what you were all along based on other people's definitions. And the best definitions that these sisters' classmates can come up with is like the classic freak. You're a freak. Like that's all anyone can ever call them. And I'm just like, if someone is routinely calling you a freak, if your classmates are routinely calling you a freak, you are some subculture. You just got to figure out which one it is. Exactly. And no one is going to swoop down with your wizard, Harry, and tell you what you are. You're right. It's definitely a journey. And it is a looking back on things mm-hmm. and realizing where you fit all along on your own. Or never realizing and never caring and never choosing. Which I think that these girls are sort of in that realm where having a tribe and having those cliques so well-defined in the year 2000 and before, especially before, because that's what was imprinting on us what where these girls are supposed to fit or where we think they fit when we first watched this film, having them not really sit within those barriers or those lines was something that was off-putting. Whereas now, 20 years later, it's like, fucking let your freak flag fly i suppose before we get really into it there is a fun technological advancement available to listeners of dead air (laughs) 
I guess if you want to put it that way. We're piggybacking on the cool thing that is Letterboxd. I'd never used Letterboxd before. Had you used it before, Wes? Never. And I didn't even really know what you were talking about until you showed it to me. And I said, oh, this is that thing that people use to rate their favorite Halloween movies and piss people off on Twitter. Yep. Now you can piss off your friends with dead air (laughs) episodes of days gone by. Yeah. I'm going to eventually make a secondary list that we're going to rank and maybe we'll do some special show where we try and rank them by like gore kills favorites Mm -hmm. just looking at them in order above of year is interesting but right now you can get the list on letterbox there's a link on my twitter a link on wes's twitter and i would say the link but it's like a mess of a link so we'll put it up on splatterpictures.net somewhere Mm -hmm. i'll come up with a better way to share it in the next episode i'll definitely have a viable link for everyone to look at this it's it's when you look at all of those fucking posters all laid out and you know like people say like oh you've done like 180 plus episodes of this show and i'm like yeah we sure have but when you look at what that looks like you're like holy fuck have we talked about a lot of movies i think it helps us also identify gaps because looking at that quilt as it is that huge wallpaper of all the movies that we've done right away i'd be like oh we never did the sequel to that or oh we never did the remake of that Or, oh, Mm -hmm. we only did the remake and not the original of that. Or, oh, we didn't do that other movie by that director. You know, we see those gaps. So I I think it's cool, let alone just what cool fucking movies we've chosen. Yeah, my biggest, like, shock that I guess I, I remember and then I forget all the time. I'm like, so we've done Dark Water. We've done Pulse. We've never done The Grudge. We've never done The Ring. Like... Why? <laughs> yep. Yep, there's something wrong in Dead Air Land. Yeah, I was like, why are we not... Like, I was like, am I just so obsessed with this notion of not doing bigger movies that I'm just scared to like, no, we can't do... That's too obvious for J-horror. We have to do J-horror movies that no one's seen. Yeah, like Abnormal Beauty. I mean, of all of those directors' movies, we picked... Or I picked the, the most obscure. Yeah. Yeah, man, we've fucking tackled some weird ass shit too. I love it. I I love looking at all of it. So I really want to thank you for that. And thank you for all the work you do. I don't think listeners like realize how much of the show is really your hard work these days. Like, and I just, like, and you're busy enough as it is. You don't fucking need to do this. You certainly don't, you know, you have your own YouTube shit to go to. You have your Patreon that you need to babysit. You need to like... Babysit sounds shitty, but you know, you need to like pr- make it a value to people and shit like that. And meanwhile, I'm just like, oh, can we uh, do another episode of Dead Air? Like, I always feel so fucking guilty because I'm always like, she's got better things to do than this. I don't know if I have better things to do. I mean, they're all sort of equal in my mind. It's like this love <laughs> of horror, right? And that we get to share it and talk about it and share the experience of horror, which is more valuable in in some ways than sitting alone, hunched over my computer, giving myself eye strain, which is a lot of what the other ones get me, right? All my other projects have something to do with not blood, sweat, and tears, but it's back pain, wrist strain, and eyes that are about to fall out of my head. It just is, you know, that's just what it is to be creating things when it's involving a computer. Even though, you know, like, oh, what a rough life I have. Later on, I have to read some books and carve a pumpkin on camera. Wow, such hard work. (laughs) (laughs) 
getting to sit down and talk with you about movies is a joy. Oh, thank you. It's a joy for me too. And um, but yeah, that's the letterbox link. Uh, if you guys are uh, want to check it out, please do. Man, we have been talking for almost thirty minutes, and we have like not even really said what the movie is about. Um, that's I think a new record for us. I think there's a lot to unpack as to why we chose this why we like this why one of us didn't like it yeah <laughs> what has changed how it's aged sure 30 minutes is apt yeah that makes sense but fuck all that lids what is this movie even about anyways while revenge to some is a dish best served cold i feel that it's often best not served at all and certainly do not serve it up involving community dogs please and thank you do what you can to avoid killing the dogs <laughs> Or revenge is a dish best served warm and wet. Very much so. All over your parents' kitchen floor, if possible. Oh my god. How did you feel about the milk mixing with blood? I bet that was very gross for you. It was very gross, but so beautiful. It looked very beautiful. And I get that. Blood on snow is something I can totally get behind, and they almost get there with the milk. (laughs) Yeah, this film, for those of you who are uninitiated... Ginger Snaps is the classic Canadian tale about two sisters, one who will become a lycanthrope. Woman? Werewolf. Oh. Yes, also a woman, because it's not subtle in the metaphors here about uh, menstruation. I think the whole first half of the movie, they're just talking about getting their period, which is... uh, very very cool and it would have seemed progressive at the time i don't know if that still seems progressive nowadays but uh it's it it definitely is an interesting metaphor for the transformation that young ginger is going through her and her sister bridget are the the freaks as we said the outsider girls in their high school and they play a lot of field hockey they take a lot of gory suicidal photographs it seems to be a class project but it also seems to be like maybe this is what they were doing anyway so i kind of get the sense of like some of the more artistic kids that i went to high school with they would try to interpret school assignments in such a way that it would always fall in line with their interests they already have so my theory is they're already taking death photographs and then they had some kind of photography assignment and they were just like oh can we do this Uh, and i'm sure if they had uh, a science project they would say can we talk about rare diseases or can we talk about uh, what happens to the body as it's decomposing it would probably be stuff like that right definitely definitely and even before I would have been of age to be assigned a photography assignment in school, me and my cousin Jason had taken death photos, not similar to this, not as good as this. These were very good, but oh my God, it was so good. the same sort of idea. Just like, oh, what if I had this thing over my neck and you could stick this arrow through my arm and take a picture and like, we'll get some fake blood going like that sort of stuff. A knife in a sink with blood all over it. Ooh, really cool photos for no fucking reason. So that, that definitely tracks, and I definitely went to school with people who did that same sort of thing. And I'm trying to think of examples where I had done that as well. Maybe in college, I definitely did, like, mm-hmm. steer my assignments towards something that I was genuinely interested in, which is uh, helped mm-hmm. me get through school, that's for sure. But, yeah, their interest is very morbid and 
very picturesque, so it lends itself to this assignment perfectly. A plus, girls. Yeah, um, to the point in which I feel like their teacher has a lot of complex emotions within after viewing their project. It seems that he um, is acknowledging their talent. He's acknowledging their uh, the, the fact that they were very expressive and they went to a very dark place. And then it sort of snowballs. It's like he can, talks himself out of it in the same conversation with himself. No one else is talking. And then he was just like, oh, you know, see me in the guidance counselor later. Like it's, <laughs> I was like, whoa, it sounded like you liked it two seconds ago. And now you're just like, you need help, ladies. Yeah, it's, it's taking in the room and the all the other kids that they've probably traumatized. So yeah, doing his job as a teacher, I suppose. But if it was just them in the room, he probably would have stopped at the praise. I I completely agree with that as well. Um, this is where you get the first blush of the fact that these sisters, Bridget and Ginger, Ginger's the eldest, uh, Bridget is just a year or two younger, but she skipped a grade, uh, so they're in the same class. And they are thick as thieves. They are uh, attached at the wrist, as their mother will say. Um, they are their own pack. But there is a rift that they start laying in in to the film with other people's comments. And that's kind of boils down to Ginger is very pretty and Bridget is kind of plain. I wouldn't really say that the that Bridget is not pretty. I don't think she's not pretty. I just think the film goes out of their way to kind of make her look a little ragged. And while Ginger is always made up, even when she's looking like she's not trying, it's that movie not trying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the clothing choices of Bridget and the oversized clothing that Bridget wears, which is seems very natural, actually. Mm -hmm. And that actually fits a lot better with her personality than uh, Ginger, because Ginger is, like you said, very made up. Almost all of mm -hmm. the time. Trying but not trying. That sort of like natural yeah. beauty. But her clothes are tailored or fit. And she does wear some more popular looking hobo chic kind of look. Where mm -hmm. Bridget is only excelling in the hobo portion of the show. Yeah. Bridget looks very much like uh, a young lady who is dressing for a very brisk... Ontario fall a lot of this film was shot in uh, well all of it was shot in Ontario through Scarborough and in the suburbs of Toronto and and stuff like that you can as a as a Ontarian you can really tell that this was shot in uh, Ontario I really love that because like so many other people get to look at films especially if they're filmed in the U.S. or even if they're filmed here and it's dressed up for the U.S. And they name places or show tracking scenes and the B-roll of like landmarks and cities that you can recognize and stuff like that. We, we're very rarely treated to this being able to see license plates, street signs, stuff like that, let alone just the foliage and the way that the, the landscape looks. We can readily identify it as Canada and it feels so much more at home. It's so refreshing to see that in a film. I'll say it every time we cover a Canadian film. But I mm -hmm. love that. I love it even more now because there still is a lack of that representation in film, especially in movies filmed in Canada. 
it's all like states washed. Yeah, absolutely. You really get the sense of uh, because it's filmed in Ontario, because we're very familiar with uh, places like Scarborough and and not just that, but the weather, the way the weather feels, the cold feels different here. And I can't I have a hard time explaining it to my American friends when I've been in the United States during their wintry or fall months. And, and they're like, oh, is this get I was like, the temperature is similar, but it's just there's a sharpness that is not present. There's a way that the ground feels when it's kind of it's cold, but not yet frozen. There's a smell that is very unique to the area, I find. Um, and so you can just get all of that. For, so it's very like relaxing to watch. And it also comes very realistic because you start noticing, hey, you know, I those cars look pretty recognizable for the types of cars that are around at that time. And you get really nostalgic watching this. And I, I, I really dig how this film is shot. I really love the visuals of this. Um, even just simple things like wh how they film uh, Ginger sitting at her parents' table with the big hood over her and the subtle fangs in her mouth. It's just, it's so visually appealing. I just loved it. You know, it, it doesn't hurt that uh, uh, Ginger's quite pretty. And what, like I said, when I was a teenage boy, like I was just like enamored with this. Uh, not so much that I would, like I like uh, I said before we started recording, I don't even own Ginger Snap. So I wasn't enamored in it in a way in which like I was like, I will be continuously obsessed with this film. It definitely was a, of a time for me where I watched it a few times. I watched its sequels. The third one, which is very interesting, but um, but then I kind of put it away because I was just like, oh, yeah. And then it's always like a movie that I remembered. But what ends up happening is this small suburb has a real lousy problem with eviscerated dogs like man every night. It, and the, it's the beast. The beast of Bailey Downs. Bailey Downs is it, the name of this little community that they live within. And yeah, luckily this this scourge of dog attacks and people's dogs being left with guts hanging out all over the place uh, saves us from this devolving into mean girls or heather's territory where it becomes like freaks and geeks versus the posh squad i'm so glad that i've watched heather's since watching uh since watching this again because there's a fucking scene right out of heathers in this fucking movie and i'm wondering if this was like an homage to it what we, the, the important things to know about this is ginger is a very protective older sister um there's a, a a mean girl who um seems to consistently bully her for a really weird reason this popular preppy girl likes to buy drugs from i guess bailey's fucking resident weed seller yeah sam he's like such a perfect little drug dealer too yeah and not only he's like a no good nick with a heart of gold you know what i'm saying like he really is he's like listen i'm a business drug dealer i'm a good guy i just sell drugs uh and it's so funny now living in a world in which marijuana is is legal how like shady he is about the whole thing but not so shady that he is not a dude at least in his 20s early 20s but 20s with a van just hanging out consistently at a high school like just consistently just hanging out with a high school and it, it does kind of like speak to like that small town 
Smith Fallsy type of Scarborough Coburg. Like here's like a creepy older dude, but not too old, but older who's like hanging around a high school and like trying to like sell teenage girls drugs. <laughs> like Which is the shadier part than him being a drug dealer. Honestly, that van. Yeah, the van is so creepy. Luckily, it becomes part of the plot here when it hits not a dog, but a dog like creature. Because, yeah, this yes. is saved entirely from the Trina Mean Girls versus Bridget and Ginger kind of stuff. Because this Mean Girls and Heather's plot devolves into the, the part that rubbed me the wrong way, aside from just the girls themselves when I'd first watched this. I'm like, no, they would not exact revenge or plan a prank. These are not pranking girls. They're, they yeah. want this Trina person to disappear and become invisible to her. They don't want to go and kidnap her dog. But no, that's yes. what they do in this movie. They want to go kidnap her fucking dog. There's a, I, I get their point. There's a big dog problem with dogs turning up dead. So if they kidnap the dog, they'll assume the worst. And that's funny, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is where... Um, so I always thought that this was a symptom of me being what would be classified as a poser, right? Like I was always like a person who had a lot of emotions and I would get really angry if I felt like people had slighted me. I wasn't an unpopular person in school because I'm just like a charismatic person, but um, I, you know, you all have your moments, particularly when you're at that very vulnerable age of like 15, 16 years old, where like, you know, you want to express yourself, but you're bad at expressing yourself. And so because you're bad at expressing yourself, you're always projecting the wrong thing to people and you think that people don't understand you. And then you get really frustrated by that because because it becomes every teenager basically deals with like everyone thinks this about me, but they're wrong. And because you're a teenager, you fucking care. Right. And so it, it results in a lot of talking. Like when you have your one or two friends or in this case, your sister, and you talk about like darkity dark, dark, and I'm going to kill this person for you. Do you want me to torture them? Like it's all talk. Right. It's only the it's only people who are deranged on some way or the other who actually and we hear about this with like thrill killers and and uh, teenage murders and all that kind of stuff. We hear about like one person eventually I knew somebody uh, uh, through another person who uh, him and his girlfriend killed his parents. And you're like, how does that happen? But I think it all starts with talking, but I think it's mostly talk. And so the thing that I. I, I was like, it definitely seems like Ginger is trying to push Bridget into a direction where Bridget is kind of more like what you're saying, where she just wants to be left alone, but she wants to talk about, imagine if we do this dark stuff. Imagine if we got mm -hmm. revenge. Imagine if we stole your dog. Anyway, that was fun and cathartic to think about. Let's go into the basement and take more murder photos because that's what I want to do. As opposed to like actually going out and stealing someone's dog. She does it dutifully because... Bridget very much is subservient to her sister, at least in the beginning. Uh, so I totally agree with you in that it doesn't ring entirely true. But again, if you don't have the girls doing this, you don't have a story. Because on that night, that's where they encounter the true beast. And holy fuck, is this a violent attack? It's a lot more violent than I ever remembered. And the fact that, like, I'm glad that they kind of had to come up with an excuse to how... Uh, Ginger would survive this because she gets fucked up. Yep, absolutely attacked by a werewolf. A werewolf. And it's 
pretty apparent to us in a in, in, for the most part that it's a werewolf and they have some conversations over the next say 20 minutes of the film about what this was us being werewolf fans would have probably assumed that right away i guess if werewolves existed if someone we knew was attacked like this and we saw it with our own eyes it was a man beast quite clearly so yeah luckily she's saved from the bulk of this attack and certain death by this creature getting hit by a van driven by our resident drug dealer sam yeah, this fucking wolf explodes. You don't need silver bullets, as they're going to tell you in this fucking picture. Uh, you could basically just explode these things with your van. One thing that I really liked about this film that I had kind of forgotten about was, you know when you're watching a zombie movie and all the characters have to pretend like they don't know what a zombie is? Like they've never seen a zombie movie. There's no such thing as zombies in the world. Bridget and Sam, like on day two, are like, oh, it's a werewolf. It's like a werewolf. They are immediately like Sam is like doing research and Bridget saying like, I know what I saw. And he like Sam busts out the term uh, lycanthrope. <laughs> so it's, yep. It's like so... pretty much immediately. And I, I find it very refreshing as well. Like I really it is refreshing. movies that they've never seen a zombie movie. Right. Like, hello, we've all read about zombies and it's part of the cultural zeitgeist and has been for a very long time. We all know what zombies are it's really hard to divorce yourself into a universe where no one's ever heard of a zombie or thought about the dead coming to life it's really fucking hard so it's just as equally hard with something even more ancient with a werewolf or lycanthrope like it's hard to mm. live in a world where you see a, a wolf on two legs it's just a werewolf that is what it is and they even not only just know what a werewolf is they know how to fight out against a werewolf. They have an idea of its taxonomy. They have an idea of its habitat and its proclivities. Of course, like any good werewolf fan. There's some amazingly detailed moments in the script where they are talking about the logic of some of this stuff in the real world that I think goes a long way into legitimizing that this sounds like it could be real and that they're not just going to throw away this notion of, oh, we're just going to um, inject someone randomly with a fucking distilled plant. Where, like, you know, they talk about dosage and filtering things and, like, you don't know what you're doing and what about the side effects. And there's all these little uh, moments talking about could werewolves exist um, how are werewolves affected? What's different from what could be in the movies and what's a, a fact of real life? And then also curing it, what could work? And there's no, it's not like like some expert, it's not like Tony Todd is going to come out of the shadows as like a dusty old man and tell you, these are the rules and this is how you're supposed to do things. It's really two very young people just fucking trying to figure it out and admitting that they're guessing admitting that and and trying to bring science into it in in a weird way the science of silver which was very interesting uh the science of of uh the, the medicinal use of plants and all that kind of stuff and and it was little moments in like that with the script while at the same time we're not info dumpy these scenes moved very quickly they seemed like natural conversations it did not seem like characters trying to get through dialogue so they are imparting information 
to the audience. And that was what I was most impressed with, with the script as a whole. Very much so. And they try a few of the well-trod things within. And they debunk a lot of the well-trod things right away as far as... And they, I like when they do this in vampire movies, too, especially when vampires don't have an aversion to running water or silver. And, and silver mm-hmm. is that common thread between these two creatures. Uh, werewolves, they, they try a lot of that stuff. And I like that they settle on monkshood because it is not quite as popular as a poisonous plant i've grown monkshood because it is quite poisonous to people but it is known as wolfsbane which i don't know if they actually throw out that term calling it monkshood they do call it uh monkshood um they don't and i was expecting them to talk about uh like wormswood or something like that that's what Mm -hmm. i was i was like isn't that what they use isn't that what they talk about uh but no yeah and i also like the added detail of like Oh, it grows everywhere in spring. It's fucking fall. Yeah, it is fall. But that's the thing which is ridiculous in the spring is that having grown monkshood, it is a perennial plant. That's true. It comes back every year. It does grow kind of everywhere, but gardeners tend to not plant it because it's highly poisonous. And if you have a heart condition, you shouldn't handle it at all because it can behave like digitalis or foxglove is the other word for that one. Um, you mm. shouldn't really handle it and you cer- certainly shouldn't be doing stuff like fall maintenance where you're chopping a lot of it down and stuff, especially with bare hands. Like it's, it's quite dangerous, really, honestly. But uh, it grows in the spring. It doesn't flower until the fall. And my Ooh. monk's hood would have blooms on it into the snows of December. Really? So it is kind of like around. Yeah, definitely. Well, maybe I gave the script a little bit too much credit. Karen. Not at all. It is definitely an organic conversation. And they do, like, I do like the science of it in that way. And the way that they go about distilling it, it's very cool, very accurate. I like that a lot. Finding dried monk's hood for a craft project, I don't think that that, I, I don't know, I've never gone into Michael's and asked him for poisonous plants. That's a weird aspect, because, like, I, like when you're talking about how poisonous it is, you shouldn't really handle it. I was like, yeah, did, like, the mom go to fucking Michael's and just be like, ooh, this looks pretty for an arrangement that I'll put on the dinner table? Yep, just not not really accurate, not really accurate that way. But, hey, who's who's keeping track? Not I. I could tell you who's keeping track of the weird hairs growing all over her body. Ginger. She's got uh, white hairs sprouting from her injuries. She is bleeding quite heavily. Her She had gotten her period just before she was attacked. Very cutely saying she's gotten the curse just before a werewolf uh, jumps her. And she is also sprouting a little tail. It's the little tail. I love this. And it is that organic thing, how they're organically figuring out how to deal with this and how to deal with Ginger specifically and the affliction or how to cure it or keep it under control and at the same time she's organically changing and it's not just she woke up one night as a howling fur covered beast or the next full moon she just turned into a four-legged creature no it's ramping up with this the fangs tail hair eyes changing little things yeah little things particularly her temper her um she is becoming more while she's becoming um quite horny too she mm-hmm. uh, wants to um she wants to uh, bed a boy in which she does and they have a kind of a funny thing in which it looks like she might have actually killed him turns out she ate a dog the the interesting thing is she was able to transfer 
her werewolf curse as a as like an STD. Yeah, almost it follows territory. You wonder, did they get into some sort of bitey-bitey stuff? But no, it's just fluid transfer of any sort, I suppose. And yeah, yeah. that has infected this sort of jockey classmate. And she's also Ugh. turned her rage on Trina, the original mean girl, who she was, you know, kind of the fault of all this. If they hadn't been out there trying to do some fucking frat-level prank of kidnapping her dog in the first place then maybe none of this would have happened. It's also just very natural to turn all the rage against that mean girl. Very similar to the protagonist in Carrie. Yes, because it does seem quite random, the direction of this aggression that this mean girl has at uh, on um, Bridget in particular. Now, because it's, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, it's like she really starts going after Bridget when... Bridget all of a sudden, thanks to this werewolf attack, thanks to the fact that they were trying to prank her in the first place because she was mean to them in the first place, all of a sudden she has gotten this attention of Sam, a drug dealer with a heart of gold, and that's the person that she was trying to get interested in her and causes her to go even harder on Bridget and you know, in the the first encounter that they had before all this curse stuff happened, Ginger had, it looked like Ginger might, when she says, don't touch my sister, don't mess with my sister, you know, it looks like she might like pop her in the mouth. Uh, but now with Ginger struggling against this curse, she just goes all out and just punches the shit out of this girl over and over and over again demolishes her in the way that only an angry teen girl could envision destroying her little schoolyard enemies because i've definitely had visions of a pummeling like this never been involved in one but would have wanted to this happened to me when i was in junior high um i i i mostly like to be left alone there was a kid who kept I can't even remember his name at this point, but he used to punch my arm and and like kick me and stuff like that. And I didn't really do anything back to him. And this went on for weeks where he would and I started to get like a bruise on the top of my arm because he kept punching me in the, the same because he used to we used to go to school in the same direction. And so he would zoom past me on his bike and he would punch my arm every single time and it like was not like a ha 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 we're friends and you're punching your arm he literally was like trying to hurt me and it was starting to really hurt after a while and i remember i was on the soccer field one day and i i was not having a, the best of days and he fucking hit me or he said something or whatever and i beat him up so badly that I was twice the size. Like I, I was. I don't know why he was like doing this. And I, I beat him up so badly, and I screamed at him that I hated him, and to leave me alone. And he was just pummeled into the ground, and he was all fucked up. And he lay. He just stayed on the ground, and I walked away from him. And and then he came to me later, and he was like, "You're lucky I don't kick your ass." And he was like all bloodied and shit like that. I was like, I feel lucky. With those aggressions like that, I always wonder, like, who it is that has trained this person to behave like that kid? Because, like, you probably only hit him once for every time he's fucking hit you. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. It's just in that concentrated moment where he gets all of them on his fucking face. It's, that is so sad that that kid not only had behaved the way that he did up until the point that it fucking landed on his lap or you landed on his face, as the case may be. <laughs> and then to turn around and not even be able to apologize, own it, feel any remorse, understand why you had turned on him, but interpret it as you're lucky I don't kick your ass. Okay. Yeah. I, you want to know? He never he never bothered me ever again. That's the way to do it. And that's what we learn from fiction, right? That you're supposed to stand up for yourself and you don't give in to bullies. I mean, you had given him so many Christian moments of having turned the other cheek. Uh, yeah. It's wild to me that he continued behaving the way that he did. And I do wonder even like why there was that aggression. We sort of get an understanding of why with this Trina person having this interest in Sam and then mm -hmm. not like being so insecure that she has to turn her aggression toward any of his female friends, basically, because that's mm -hmm. all that Bridget and Sam are, are friends. Really, really. And, and Sam makes that very clear that this is not a, because like Ginger um, very much has like this, like, she's 15 years old. What the fuck are you doing around my sister? Like, you know, if he rapes you, don't fucking come crawling to me. Like all this kind of shit. And he's like very adamant of like, just trying to figure out this werewolf stuff. Like I don't, this is not, I'm not that type of van driving drug dealer hanging around a high school. I just want to sell drugs. Is that okay? Unreal. Yeah. And I, I like that it is all put forward very bluntly. And that's a thread that persists from the beginning to end of the movie, especially with their parents, which sort of flit in and out. You know, at the beginning, we get quite a lot of parent hangout time at dinner and stuff like that. And the parents are very accepting and blunt and the kids don't hide their natures from their parents. It's a very supportive and wonderful family that way. And then later on, when things get a little messy, so to speak, because we're going to get there in a minute. The, the parents are very cool with like, okay, just clean up, helping clean up their, their kids' messes without questioning them or judging them or whatever. Yeah. Until the end of the movie, when we get even more of that parental support. But they have that same sort of vibe with their friends too. And Sam is a very natural fit. It's amazing to me that they never hung out before. Yeah, and, and, and this is like the part of the movie that I really, really, I love stories with teens and the suburbs and capers. Like I love like running around around adults and trying to figure out, is my neighbor a vampire? Is this person an alien? Is this person in a cult? Like, is there a werewolf attacking the neighborhood? It's just like kids running around, like kids on bikes, right? Like it's that, or like drug dealers and vans in this case. It, and it is like very fun to to sort of exist in this world again vicariously because when I was a teenager I just wanted something interesting to happen in my neighborhood I was that kid I was like nothing interesting ever happens here why can't my neighbors be serial killers or something like that like I was that annoying kid right staring at my window just being like what are they doing are they serial killers oh they're just praying god damn it the closest I ever came to that is when you'd notice a neighbor going into a shed in their backyard that you never noticed before, never noticed them go in or out of before, or they go in there, yeah. and then for three days, you see a light on in there, and then one night, the light is off. Holy fuck. What are they doing? Yeah, that's the closest that I ever got to wishing my neighbors were aliens. 
when I would be charged with like taking in the mail when my neighbors would be on vacation and like watering their plants and stuff like that. I would like snoop in their basements and stuff like that and try to be like, there's got to be like, where's the where's the Ark of the Covenant? Like, there's got to be something in here. There's got to be something. Do they have gremlins? Something. I don't know. And of course, it's no just like, ugh, certificates of excellence from the city of Ottawa. Ugh. Boring. Boring. Upstanding citizens. Boring. Trina is going to go, while all of this is happening, Ginger is freaking out. She is like, you know, scared. And when Ginger's scared, it comes out as aggression. I do appreciate this because when I was young, when I was scared, it came out as aggressive, aggressive, leave me alone attitudes. And I would say snarky things. I would say mean shit to people all the time, mostly because I was afraid of everybody because I have bad anxiety. And so I was always like a good defense is a good offense. So just say mean things to people and they'll leave you alone, you know, never physical until that moment. And I was like, oh, my God, I guess I am huge and strong. I guess I could just get through life doing that. Um, If I thankfully I didn't become that person. Of course. I always like to use my words more than anything because I was good at doing that. And when Trina comes to use her words or what, what do you think? Did she go there to fight? Did she go there to have it out, hash it out once and for all? Like what? I'm, I'm could, I couldn't understand why in the middle of the night you would go to essentially your rival's house and confront them what is this what do you interpret this as i guess that she was waiting for that thing that you know hair trigger thing that would allow her to unleash no pun on the second movie intended um so that she could go there and catch sam there and flip out in glorious femme fashion Mm -hmm. or catch the dog there because the dog is in effect missing and um eaten i mean missing and (laughs) the natural enemy is bridget and ginger so she's going to show up there and if she sees evidence of the dog then she can freak out charge them get her dog back i mean something so she's going there because there's no other way to really get proof of these two things that are now uh eating away at her no pun intended (laughs) that the dog is missing and sam is missing in her life this begins a sequence that is like man like this this is like the heather sequence but there's like this moment in which ginger pulls trina into the house where i was like man if i was trina right now i would be fucking terrified but at the same time i was thinking to myself What did you think was going to happen? You know that these girls are like unhinged. You know that there's two of them versus one of you. And you're going there Mm -hmm. by yourself to, I guess, I guess figure out what's going on with her dog and the whole Sam of it all and shit like that. You're jealous. You're scared for your dog. You're mad at the sisters in general because they had said some shitty things to you or Ginger, you know, was saying some shitty things. So like... And Ginger literally beat you up. That's the other thing. I was like, like Ginger literally pounded the fucking shit out of your face. And Trina reacted as a person who was like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I just say a bunch of shit to people and I push people over, but no one ever, I don't get punched in the face for any of this. Whoa, 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 what happened? Like she really just had that 
reaction of like, I can't believe my words incited violence towards me, <laughs> um, which is um, wild that you wouldn't think that. But kids who have never been in a fight, kids who have never like gotten decked for something that they've said, they definitely are surprised the first time it happened where they're like, oh. Oh, and thankfully so. I remember so many times when I was younger, if I would remark on the antisocial behavior, uh, war, violent behavior of one of my peers, my parents would often say, yeah. And as soon as they get a little older, someone's going to punch them right in the fucking face and they're going to change their tune. And it does happen to a lot of fucking people. And so I think that that's why I put up with a lot of shitty behavior, bullies and stuff like that, because I knew, or at least my parents told me that within a couple of years, someone was going to set them in their fucking place. Eventually somebody would, or hardship would follow them somehow. I wish that more people would just get punched in the face. Actually, it would probably set a lot of people straighter quicker, but <laughs> I also Trina grew up with these girls. They all, it's a small town ish area. So it could very well just be extending the olive branch. Like, Hey, we got to calm the fuck down. My dog's missing. That's what matters right now. So, they did all grow up together. Who knows if they had attended each other's birthday parties, much like the previous movie we did in Stitches, mm-hmm. where they all know each other, whether they like each other or not. It's like they're all stuck with one another, and maybe that's part of why Trina just shows up. It also has a little bit of a bigger town feeling in this movie, so maybe a little bit of that small town closeness is lost here, but I, that could very well be why she allows herself to be dragged into the uh, kitchen of Bridget and ginger she is terrified terrorized um ginger is pulling on her face and holding her by the head and neck and stuff like that she eventually uh during the struggle knocks over a carton of milk and also vomits uh when she i don't know if she vomits because she's so scared or because ginger's fingers are in or in and around her mouth and maybe they went too far down her throat or something like that that's kind of my interpretation like ginger just maybe accidentally made her throw up um uh bridget is trying to calm the whole fucking situation down while trina pulls a butcher knife uh from a knife block in the kitchen slips on her own vomit slash milk and cracks her head and dies and just pours blood all over the floor. Um, I was watching this with my uh, partner and she had said, okay, they, they shouldn't touch the body. They should not touch the body. This is completely fucking explainable. I was like, this person came onto their property, is was grabbed and like came into their kitchen, was threatening them, grabbed a knife. She's still holding the knife. Their fingerprints are not on the weapon. And and she slipped and she fucking killed herself. This is completely, she was like, she was like, this is completely not their fault. This was an accident and they can prove it. And this, that, and the other thing. In movies or real life, I've always kind of balked at the whole like situation like this. Fully explainable accident. It's a 100% accident. And the reaction of the people around are, well, better get a hacksaw. Help me move a body. (laughs) What the fuck? Their parents immediately come home. They ditch the body in the deep freezer in the basement or somewhere, or the garage or wherever it is. And they act as though they're playing their gore murder photography. And the parents, you kind of get the sense where I'm just like, was the mom really fooled by that? I don't. Towards the end of the film, you get the sense that maybe she wasn't. 
but the dad the dad is so <laughs> vacant like you can really tell that this is this is a story about women written by a woman and the dad has that classic like he goes to work he reads the paper and he does not get involved in the raising of it's the cliched like like three against one i'm the only guy in this house like i don't understand teenage girls don't talk about their menstrual cycles in front of me like like being woman being a woman is taboo even in their own house because there's one guy that they they can't talk about they can't talk about this stuff in front of them he's a man he's got a penis he wouldn't understand it's that it's that it's that type of shit right like and and so he he's he fucking barely has any lines, right? Like it's now, it's, Mr. Like, Fitzgerald is such a perfect like. Wait till your father gets home for what? No reason because he's not going to do anything. He's going to read his paper. He probably has his own separate bathroom so that he doesn't have to deal with girl things or girl stinks, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. He just wants to eat. A, he wants to eat the big piece of chicken, and he wants to like go read the paper, and then he wants to go to sleep because he's got work in the morning. Bye, Gunnett. Um, you know what? It's perfectly fine. I'm so happy with the dad because uh, he yeah. fits perfectly into their plans of being whoever they want to be and doing whatever they want to do. The mom really sets a trend as far as being who you want to be and doing what you want to do. And he supports <laughs> it, I suppose, by going to work and reading the paper. Yeah, um, not hurting anything. He, um, when I, I am kind of a little taken aback by um, how deeply this freezer froze this woman it looks like she'd been in the fucking freezer for fucking five years just completely encased in ice it doesn't make a lick of sense to me um but they carve her out and they bury her in the shed which has a, a dirt floor uh, mm-hmm. the one that i like this conversation between ginger and bridget quite a lot and it's ginger saying first of all i love the line where she's like do you think she's pretty like she's just like looking at her dead frozen corpse and i was like (laughs) bridget's like if i weren't here would you eat her and that actually kind of made me realize that uh, there this film was funnier than i remembered it there was a lot more humor in this than because i was just really remembering like the darkness like the darkness and despair of these two young ladies and I wasn't really remembering that, you know, there was some jokes in here that were genuinely funny. But the conversation that Ginger has about people don't think women do this. People don't think that women commit murders. Women can be sluts or teases or uh, virgins, but they can't be killers. And I was thinking to myself, if someone told me a girl went missing... And every the, the last person I would ever think did it would be someone who was another woman. It just is not the statistically it's very much not in their favor. But also you you just mm-hmm. think of some like van driving pervert with a neck beard just like teenager. It's like that, right? It's like it's the Green River Killer. It's something like that. It's like like somebody just snatched a body or it's like some crazy boyfriend or something like that. That's who committed the murder. And so there was this, this sense where I was just like, if they left it at this, they might, they might. Yeah, she's right. They might get away with this actually. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That 
philosophical bent is sort of part of the problem that they'd had in securing funding for this entire movie because uh, girls being dark and in a slasher and killing people and the gore of it all was part of why it took a while to get this film made and why even the writer was sort of reluctant to approach it with this exact angle. But it's also got this sort of Canadian humor to it like all the humor seems it, I had the same experience where I didn't remember it being quite as funny although I wasn't as traumatized by the beginning scenes or as scared of these girls or labeling them as dangerous as you I had a whole other reason for not tuning into it mm -hmm. properly and when I first watched it but yeah it is really funny and really appropriate because the conversations that they have especially the most dark or most comical or deeply philosophical all very organic, all very natural, all very well written. So I really dig that. And the fact that they are, you know, when you're bearing a body, you're going to have some sort of conversation, mm -hmm. right? Like you're just gonna, and it's going to be dark or funny. There's gallows humor. It's going to be philosophical. So they kind of hit all those beats within this scene. And I really like that. Mm -hmm. The one thing that they neglected to do was bury all of the fucking body. Yes, and this really opens up a fucking part of this film that I adore. Where, where I like I, I am thirty eight years old. I have gotten older now. I am not the same kid that I saw when I first watched this movie. And so, when you first watch this film as a as a young teen, and you see the parents, you're just like, oh. Parents just don't understand, man. They don't get it, man. They don't know what I'm dealing with, man. They don't know all these people, man, that are in my space, man, and just like trying to fuck with me, man. Just trying to be my own person. And like, and now as a 38 year old man, I'm I'm like, what a good mom. What a, like, like, and I get like, I wish Ginger and Bridget, I know that Ginger is being taken over quite literally by another force and instinct and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, their parents are so supportive. Even if there is their dad is vacant, their mom is like, come on, like who else is going to be that supportive? Where she, she's like, I'm going to lie to your father. Oh, they're fake, silly. The second she's putting those fingers in the Tupperware, I'm like, she knows that that's not fake. She knows that those are real human fingers of a girl that is missing, that their their daughters, uh, her daughters had problems with and they took care of it themselves. And, she, and you know, she really gets off on the idea of, um, you know, what Bridget says about like, you know, Ginger just thinks it's really cool when you let us figure stuff out for ourselves. And she's just so happy because she's like, I'm being a good mom. Because it's not like she's vacant. She's very <laughs> present in the girls' lives. Mm -hmm. And she really is trying to talk to them at the dinner table. And it just made me think, I was like, I wish Ginger and Bridget were just a little nicer to their mom. <laughs> that is such a sentimental, sweet moment. Oh, my God. It's very true. I wish they were a little nicer to their mom. They'll grow out of it. And you know that. Provided that they live through this fucking Halloween party. They will be nice to their mom. They will get closer to their mom because she is brilliant and understands them genuinely, which is something that's a tall order for a mom, especially this day and age. That this is this is about like accepting every part of your children for sure. Um mm -hmm. but things are about to get a little messier because cartoonishly Ginger can't seem to stop killing it. It seems to be a good outlet for her 
she will justify it with Trina genuinely was an accident, but she probably could have held it together for the fucking teacher, the guidance counselor. Um, I love this um, reveal of the teacher's body in the office, by the way, because the gore, the slash through the ear and the head, it like looks so authentic and it's so delicious. Like this fucking movie is bloody as fuck, right? And you get this um, really strong sense of uh, like the practical effects were such a uh, were so lovingly done, and such care was done into making sure that these things were authentic. Because while every time that Bridget is on the the way to figuring this out, because her mom got herself some craft store weeds, and they were able to get a cure going, a cure that works, mind you, because there's an, there was another sexually transmitted werewolf running around, old Jason, who's turning into a werewolf and ate his own dog at this point. There's like, there's like a whole other werewolf story going on in this movie that like, we are not, we are only seeing snippets of here and there. On Halloween, after Sam and Bridget make this antidote that they don't even know is going to work, they have a guinea pig in the form of young Jason. And as gross as his face is, because he's all scabby and he's got like even bigger fangs than uh, Ginger does, um, and he's kind of dirty looking, the only thing I could concentrate on was how big and puffy his khaki pants were and how I really wish that he... I, I was like, God, it was just like the, the late 90s going into the 2000s. And we were wicked all wearing these giant pants, weren't we? Yeah, definitely. Almost like rave gear in a way. Yeah, it was uh, like... Something that evolved out of hammer pants. Yeah, he looks like he's wearing Jinko khaki pants. Like, it's fucking so weird to me. I like that it's sort of organic, too, because they don't go out to find a guinea pig. They are, are going to just inject Ginger with this and mm-hmm. hope it works. And if it doesn't, they'll probably get attacked. Mm-hmm. But luckily... They get this like secondary attack from Jason mm-hmm. and it works like it, it absolutely works. It does. He kind of comes off as a bit of like a Renfield werewolf or like some kind of like he's so twitchy and skittering and he doesn't really seem the thing that's interesting about the werewolves in this lore and the in these films is the fact that like the transformation is not they're fine as long as it's not the full moon. Mm-hmm. And then during the full moon, you know, like a, like a, a like a Larry Talbot, they like turn into the beast, uh, you know, and they, they, they start killing people. It's, it's really more of like a, cons- a permanent, like almost like the revenants or like a permanent, like half transformation where they're wolf like, but they still look basically human, but they have fangs, they have tail, they have a bit of fur, and they have like, con- they're constantly struggling against their animalistic urges. And then at, and, and then at the at the full moon, I can imagine it'll only be worse. Well, we know it's worse when um, when it's been about a month of, uh, of this for Ginger. But this um, concoction seems to, to work. He gets his faculties and then he sort of wanders off. And so they have to make another one in theory. And Bridget is going to like help go help her sister. But her sister has committed this heinous murder. And now she has to go and try to clean this up and hide the teacher's body 
which is all well and good. But then Ginger has to go and kill the fucking custodian, who was a genuinely a nice old man. Yeah, yeah, the kind of custodian you want, actually. And the gore here is really is really something, and I we haven't really focused on it uh, until mentioning this guidance counselor's death, which you know there's some tongue in cheek moments leading up to his death, but yeah, there's nothing tongue in cheek or tongues hanging out of cheeks about the actual scene it is very gory and i love that quite a lot i like that the girls also have the onus on themselves to clean up their own messes as -hmm. best they can they're not just like leaving this trail of carnage like they could have left trina on the floor and been like well what are you gonna do mom and dad catch you later they could have walked (laughs) out of the school and just like shrug whatever i don't know i think that's the nature when you're dealing with like I was thinking about like certain uh, werewolf movies, and I think one of the consistent things that's different about them is how violent the attacks tend to be because it's like shredding. It's like a, it's like it really is a wolf. Vampire movies can get pretty violent too, but usually the super violent vampire movies are ones where the vampires are not concerned with the bodies ever being discovered. But like, there's almost a for more traditional older vampire films, there's like a cloak and dagger aspect to it, where it's like the very um, subtle draining of blood, and then a body mysteriously left to uh, to turn or to whatever it is. And werewolves are always just like a, a big destroyed body or a very violent death. And it's kind of reminded us like you know if they're wondering whatever happens to. A missing hiker for example and they say like well maybe an animal took them like maybe a wolf or a bear or something like that and then the the next statement people rightfully make is if an animal took a hiker you would know an animal took a hiker they're not an animal is not concerned with like hiding a body there would be fucking pieces of them everywhere mm-hmm. uh so there i like that aspect of this ginger is at the fiery peak of madness here her bloodlust because she justifies she just trina kills herself she justifies killing the guidance counselor by saying he was going to he was asking too many questions like he was figuring shit out like had to kill him this janitor is like bridget is screaming at her that he has done nothing and she is like, I don't like how he looks at you. He's a fucking pervert. Like this and the other thing. Things that are like in Ginger's mind only, right? So mm-hmm. it's getting to the point in which it doesn't really matter what you've done. Ginger will find a reason to kill you because she likes to kill. It's like she equates it to masturbation. And we get that sense that within another week or so she's going to be completely unhinged and there will be no stopping her and she will just be killing and not even maybe recognize her sister which is a really good metaphor for how they're drifting apart not only is that year age gap going to cause some differences in their personalities that so-called pact they had made to commit suicide by the age of 16 if they weren't out of this shitty little town Mm-hmm. is is going to have less and less meaning as the days go by, even naturally. But now that she is a killing machine, that rift is obliterated and there is a chasm forming between them. There is. And this is uh, culminating to a very interesting, like, we don't see Ginger for a little bit and she'll return to us with, like, ghostly white hair 
and she looks um in my opinion she looks more cat-like than wolf-like in she almost like kind of reminds me of like a character that would be a night breed or something like that but in this sense she is now like as close to looking like a wolf while still looking like a human so much so that everyone at the halloween party she goes to the school halloween party thinks that it's uh, a costume and she's like making out with random boys and like drinking shit and i do like that there is a halloween party component and that is exactly why we're doing this for halloween so happy halloween Here's happy the halloween, halloween portion of the show yeah and i think that they've dialed in that uh hormonal teen girl unhinged having the change of life definitely affect her psychologically and their hormones have her kind of running wild and it's not only a trope and it's not really an exaggeration this is a lot of how some young girls behave and this is especially in the day and age of of date rapes or uh, drugging and having people film things this is a sort of behavior that has landed a lot of people in huge amounts of trouble and it's that because she's a werewolf that we have that other sense of danger that she's not the one that is going to be suffering repercussions from this necessarily outside Mm -hmm. of maybe criminal charges but it's the other people that are in danger. So it's nice yeah. to have that sort of reversal of who is exactly in danger and who is the perpetrator here, where you would worry for her as a woman in trouble behaving like this were she not a werewolf. High, what do they call it? High risk behavior is, is yes, how, very much so. how police refer to that. Um, she will try to work her voodoo, her groovy voodoo, on Sam and I like that Sam keeps sticks to his guns about like not wanting oh this is so fucked like I don't do this like stop doing this because she's coming on to him pretty strong and like kissing him and kissing his chest and kissing down his stomach and stuff like that I do I I said I said to my partner I was like I was like you know good for him for like saying no he did kind of wait to get a few of those kisses in though like where he's just like all right well this was no one wants to come and then come to their senses so he did come to his senses <laughs> before that but like he he definitely like took his time uh getting there and i'm glad that he did because i didn't want it to be like this weird like bridget walks in on them and he's like into it and then there's like some weird argument or something like that because i don't want it to be about that i want it very much to just be like ginger is out of control and she doesn't really know what she wants and this will come to a hilarious fucking misunderstanding where you know bridge is trying to get ginger to leave with her while sam is trying to like i guess incapacitate her and hits ginger with a shovel to knock her out and he was like oh we're gonna like take her to this place and she was like we were leaving anyways like i was trying (laughs) he was like how was i supposed to know that it works well, though, whatever it takes to get her in the car and out of there, really. At the same time, their mother is skulking oh, yeah. around, trying to protect them as the best yeah. of her capabilities. Man, what do you say to a mom that's like, I know about the girl you killed. Don't worry. We're going to fill the house with gas and blow it up and just get out of here. It's one thing to protect your children, but to aid and abet them in becoming fugitives for murder is taking it a little far or unless the mom's a werewolf 
she, she was like, I'm the head werewolf. Um, the There's a sense of, what would you say? Her reaction to what about dad? And then the mom is just like, he can't, he wouldn't understand. He can't really deal with this. And I got this sense of there's this, and I could be way off base because A, I'm not a woman. B, I don't have a family. I don't have children. I don't have any of these uh things going on in my life but there was definitely the sense of like maybe at one point the mom was not too different from her daughters was rebellious and wanted to be free and wanted to leave the town and then what ends up happening is the the biggest sin that you could commit if you're a Fitzgerald sister which is fall for a boy and get knocked up and then because that's prison right that's shackles and chains as far as they're concerned and maybe that's what the mom ha- happened to the mom. And she was like, you know what? You guys are running around committing murders and wanting to leave town just like I did. And we can all <laughs> do that together. It's sort of like the mom in Strangers Pray at Night. She was uh, that punk rock mom. Yeah, punk rock mom who... Shackled. Yeah, shackled with uh, a, a, a daughter who wears a Ramones t-shirt. Let's not forget that bit of rebellion. Ramones, Blitzkrieg Bop. That's a reference. No, I, I can appreciate the mom, and I think that you've got it right. I really do. That or the mom is a werewolf, and she's married to this Barney Rubble that wouldn't understand, doesn't see it, is blind to it, can be hidden from it easily, and is still like a really good dude and a good husband and everything, except that he will continually be blind to her other life. That could be it. Although it doesn't explain why she would be handling Monkshood as a craft project. Whatever. Do you think that it wasn't an accident that all of a sudden she just bought the exact plant that they needed? Do you think that she fucking suspected somehow? Somehow? That maybe the mom's maiden name is Van Helsing? Maybe? <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yeah, it would be. But it um, would. It, nothing really explains it other than she is... Uh, mama hen and she is taking care of her chicks the thing that um i was really focused on towards this end session is how they kind of like they've kind of like gotten the excuse to get the parents out of the house they've left their mother here and now it's kind of back to basics of like ginger has now fully transformed into her wolf form she seems to have her faculties she she recognizes bridget she knows who Sam is, they need to very quickly concoct a new antidote in which they will give to Ginger, but Ginger is stalking them throughout the house. And unfortunately for Sam, he is going to get torn to fucking shreds. And like a a mama cat bringing a dead bird to her babies, Ginger is going to see if she can get her now partially or definitely infected with uh, werewolfism sister Bridget to indulge in Sam's blood which is almost like and I don't think that this is part of it it reminds me a lot of like that difference between soft and hard drugs where someone and there is weed references throughout all of this no one does injectables that I recall but it is sort of like uh, that peer pressure 
that someone might find themselves in to cross over from softer drugs into harder drugs. And that's really what this conversation felt like to me. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't catch it earlier viewing, but now being an adult and just sort of seeing the way that uh, Ginger behaves and the way that werewolves behave, Jason as well, uh, where you liken him to like a Renfield and he seems like almost like a, a... injectable or opiate addict or something like that mm-hmm. it, with his tweakiness and now there is this sort of pressure to indulge but you also see that in a lot of other monster transformation movies or werewolf movies vampire movies that sort of stuff sort of like a join us sort of lost boys thing right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i like this and it's it's interesting that the movie took so long to get to this point because this is the sort of conversation that typically happens in the beginning or midpoint of a a vampire werewolf movie and this is right near the very very end with Mm -hmm. this join us sort of or join me kind of thing let's close this rift that has come between us Mm -hmm. recently it kind of like reminds me again back to what i was saying about when you're all talk, when you want to be all talk about something because it's cathartic and it helps you mentally to just sort of discuss these things and imagine that you do these things or imagine a more hardcore lifestyle. If you're quite wealthy, you sort of like hang out at a punk house, even though you're not really punk, but it makes you feel like you belong somewhere. And But then if you're in that punk house, you're going to be with people who actually are that poor, who actually are hopelessly a Uh, addicted to something or they are living the lifestyle that actually if you got too serious you'd be like whoa whoa, whoa, yeah i don't actually want to i just want to listen to the music and and wear a battle vest i don't really want all the other accoutrements that come with that uh not to say everyone's like that but in in this sense like i really feel like at that moment where ginger feels absolutely betrayed by her sister because she's like you we this is what this is what we wanted and this is our way out. We wanted to get out or we wanted to die. Uh, and, and we wanted to, it was always just the two of us. We were a pact like forever. And now I'm living that lifestyle. I'm living the truth that you said you wanted, but now you don't want any part of me because it got too real. Although I will say Ginger is a bit of a hypocrite for Bridget is like puking up the blood and not wanting any of the blood, like cut to a couple of weeks earlier ginger like vomited after she ate the dog for the first time so i was like come on like this is like like making fun of me if i if i coughed when i was smoking a joint and you're like oh, oh, oh. i was like fuck you. you used to cough when you smoked a joint you had to have people don't naturally inhale smoke you gotta learn how to do that <laughs> it's very very true very true so uh, ginger thinks that uh bridget's a poser kills sam once and for all and it kind of like turns into like a Jennifer's body type thing. Like not saying like obviously Jennifer's body came afterwards, but the whole ending sequence in which you have Ginger impaling herself on the knife in the, in the, in her chest, just kept, I kept thinking of Megan Fox being like my tit, like, because uh, that is what ends up happening. And it's a quite lovely scene in which, Ginger is finally dying. And uh, while they're looking at, while there's photos of them, all the sort of death photos that they had taken together, sort of with other photos where they just very like, like self early selfies that you would take with Polaroids are there. 
and then um, Bridget sort of laying on her sister's wolfy side while she breathes her last breath. It's quite lovely and sentimental and and the, the that it really encapsulates that tragic end like there's no winners in this scenario it's just sad and i liked it quite a bit yeah it's not quite a rival with the end of dead ringers which is very similar although they mm -hmm. are twins and dead ringers but one dying with the other and just very very sad uh, this, of course, they got what they want, at least most of what they wanted, unfortunately, in that same room where we've spent so much time with them having very real conversations. They're having a very real and very sad, very tragic moment. It's even more tragic, I think, that Sam died because he was just a very cool guy. I was trying to help them, but oh well. It is It is very sad. Um. I also kind of, uh, I was remarking as I was watching the movie, it was interesting that the actress playing Ginger did not have to be present for the whole last 10 minutes of the film, right? Because they're using an animatronic wolf. And I thought to myself, well, that would be very nice. It's like everyone else has to do all the acting and you could just like chill out. You don't even have to be there. You should probably went home. Yeah, but a fun direction. They might have had her there to help emote, you know, to help Perkins emote during the scene. I wanted to ask you one quick question, uh, just to touch on the sequels very briefly. Have you seen two and three? I've only seen three because it reminded me of something else I don't really like is Buffy, but they have that uh, retro kind of episode of Buffy that reminded me quite a bit of this. And I like when movies go back into black mm -hmm. and white. So I did watch Ginger Snaps Back, but I didn't watch Unleashed. That I recall. Um, I... I just want to say, so for those of you listening who, who don't remember or don't know this type of thing, the Ginger Snap movie, as we mentioned at the top, came out in 2000. Ginger Snaps 2 and 3 were filmed back to back and both came out in 2004. And uh, Ginger Snaps 2 was released theatrically. I did not see it theatrically. I wasn't, uh, wasn't about that life. But the... Uh, they both came out to the movie network, uh, which is a Canadian movie station set of channels where they play movies uncut and commercial free. I don't even know if it still exists, but um, it used to back in the day. Like that was the best place to watch new movies on television if you wanted to watch them uncut. Took a bit to get there. But the reason why I wanted to like touch on this was because I thought it was so fucking weird because back then you didn't really have any information about like why things were done the way that they were, but they were released within months of each other. And the first, the second movie is all about Bridget who is still infected with the werewolf curse and we find out that the injections don't actually stop the curse only slow down the transformation so she and and she's haunted by ginger's ghost so and and so there's that movie and then there was a movie that came out after that that takes place like in the like frontier times in canada in the canadian wilderness with like was it fort henry or fort something or another i can't remember one of the one of the old posts where it's like bridget and ginger are like ancestors who like look exactly like they do uh in modern times but it's a good excuse again like how do you keep ginger in the movie if she dies in the first one she's a ghost in the second one and then it's her ancestor it's a prequel 
in the first one. And this talks about where the curse comes from. And there's a lot of like uh, uh, Native American lore uh, in there as well. So it's very interesting, very cool. But I remember being uh, like being a young person and just being I was so confused about why there were two Ginger Snap sequels that were just airing simultaneously. And I could, and I just thought I've never understood the reason for filming them back to back and then releasing them within months of each other. It's just very weird when films do that. And at the time I couldn't even think of a film that did that. And now we have fear street that did pretty much exact same thing. And people have jumped all over it and it's even more tightly interwoven. If they would have filmed all three of these and been able to weave them together somehow a little more deftly, we would have had that prototype for fear street, which is very similar. You're fucking absolutely right. Lids. It's literally the exact same, like fear street. The first movie takes place in the modern times. The second movie takes place, like, I guess it takes place kind of in the past, but then the third one takes place in the far distant past. And then it all sort of circles around to tell one con- story, Ginger Snaps. That's very interesting. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right, though. It seems like they kind of, um, I'm not saying that they ripped it off, but like I'm saying is like it's very similar to think of it in those terms. But yeah, that's Ginger Snaps. What's fascinating is having watched Ginger Snaps back, I remember watching it and just sort of throwing caution to the wind and being like, well, I didn't really enjoy the first one. And it had been so many years that there was lots I didn't remember. And I never watched the second one. So I'm like, bah, fuck, I'll just watch it. And if I start getting lost, I'll just stop watching it or whatever. And I watched it just fine as if, you know, it's it's basically a standalone story. Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, Very, very cool. Uh, so what do we got next for him? There are two films that could spin off of this one, of course, is uh, our friend Sam appeared later on in one of the Final Destination films, which we've talked about off camera or off screen, off air, off dead air about doing some of those uh, Final Destination films and more 90s teen cycle horror. And of course, American Mary, which is another movie that sat awkwardly with me, but stars Catherine Isabel. So there are some choices. We'll see where we go. It'll be a big surprise, a trick or a treat, much <laughs> like this Halloween season. I'm so glad that you decided to pick Ginger Snaps for Halloween because, A, I, t- I forgot that the it all culminates on Halloween. So it was really fun to, like, get some Halloween-y stuff and some pumpkin stuff. You know, lids. Speaking of pumpkin stuff, Halloween-y stuff, crisp air, rustling autumn leaves... You got a new book out that is perfect for the Halloween season. Prelide Eve number three. And what I learned yesterday is some people don't know that this is the third in a series. So please uh, tell us about this new latest one. What is fun is that, yes, it is the third in a series. Quite honestly, it's not just named number three for funsies. It is the third in a short story collection series. They're all very slim volumes. There's mm-hmm. only an average of six stories in each one. I think there's seven in this one. And it's my short work, whether it has been unpublished up until now, or if it had been previously published, or if it showed up on a podcast. So there's a lot of these stories have only ever been published in audio format on something like uh, the Wicked Library or they've appeared in other anthologies. It's a great way for me to combine all of my short stories in one spot. It's a self-published 
thing. So it's really a DIY venture in that I do the layout and the cover art and the photography and all that stuff. You had mentioned that you like the cover of number two, having seen that spider and I think being there when I took the photo on my flip phone mm -hmm. for that cover of mm -hmm. that particular book. But this one is a key that I photographed. It was a key that was gifted to me from my sister years ago for a housewarming. So it's just a, a total DIY thing. I wanted to ask you actually about that key because I was looking at it uh, when I looked at the cover and I couldn't remember. I was like, have I seen this key before? It seems like something Lids would have shown me, but I don't think I've ever seen it. It's usually on a bookshelf because um, it's heavy. It's very heavy. It's supposed to be mounted on the wall, but it's too heavy. And I worry so much all the time that it would pull its mounting out or whatever, or injure somebody. So it usually sits on a bookshelf. I've used it in Instagram photos of other books a lot. So it's definitely been there, oh. but it seemed a natural fit in a way. But yeah, there is a Halloweeny story in this book called Staked that appeared on a Halloween special for the Wicked Library. It's a very, very short story, that one in particular, but it is very Halloween-y. Uh, I'm actually familiar with this short story, uh, having, I think, I think I got to read it um, when it was like hot off the presses, so to speak. Because I, I worry very much because I don't let many people read my stuff before it's published. And editors don't typically give input on the feel or the tone of something. They're doing their job as an editor, not as a reader. Mm -hmm. So having you read my work here and there, like Staked, is super, super valuable. Yeah, I feel very privileged. And, and you know, I made up a little Instagram post about this yesterday, but I think the atmosphere in your writing is something that is a really, it's a really strong component of your writing, whether, you know, you're talking about um, some of your very early work like Night Face, whether you're talking about uh, oh, another early uh, stuff like, uh, was it Crocodile Rot? That also is very atmospheric. And then your other uh, Prey La Dive stuff, um, your fascination with hair stories, you get a sense of like, when I'm reading, and I don't read very often, uh, you know, I, I'm more, even when I'm reading, it's usually comic books or stuff like that. What I like is, can I imagine myself to a place that I've been before that sounded like this place, smelt like this place? Have I seen a street that looked like that before? Have I, you know, that's the stuff that you're very good at evoking. And so I can place myself within the story, you know, and 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 that's the type of stuff that I always like to be, uh, that that I think about afterwards while reading. As I, I don't always remember like plot details, but I remember how a story makes me feel. And I think where you're so strong at atmosphere and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I highly, highly recommend that you guys check out this. And it's a, it's super affordable. Not only could you just get the Kindle version if you don't like physical stuff, it's very inexpensive, but even the physical copy, it's six bucks. Like, come on, like you're not gonna do much better than that. And I got mine in literally 24 hours. Which is fantastic. They are printing them. It is an Amazon thing, right? So it's self-published via Amazon by me. And there are so many more printing places for the on-demand books. And many books that you have that are traditionally published are also 
self-published by authors in a lot of ways so that they can get them out to more people quicker instead of relying on traditional publishing or a lot of review copies are printed in this way so that reviewers and stuff can get a copy quicker before the publisher has to go through its month-long fucking rigmarole of publishing books Mm -hmm. yeah this will likely show up within 24 hours and it's not even about having prime or anything i don't believe i think it's just printed that quickly yeah i'm glad to hear that the atmosphere works because a lot of the time i leave that up very much to the imagination of the reader so that they can fill it in with a place that they've been or fill it in with the way that they envision a character Mm -hmm. i typically don't over describe characters either it's really about their personality and then you can you can fill in the visual to suit the personality same with like a house or something i do love very ornate writing when i'm reading it but to do it i always feel like i'm gonna misstep because so many times I've had a character in my head while I'm reading a book and then they describe them and it's like, oh, that's not what I pictured at all. So I, I'm glad that it works. I used to, when I was younger, really think that what I wanted from my own writing and also from other people's writing is for you to fucking tell me what this, tell me what this character looks like. Do not leave it up to the imagination. And if if you could have like an artist depiction of the character on the cover, so much the better. Because I was a very visually oriented person. I had a really hard time with open interpretation. And I used to get resentful at writers when they were just like, I don't know, you tell me. You tell me if this what this character's height is, what this character's race is, what's their hair look like. I'm going to describe very vaguely if they have long or short hair, but I'm not going to tell you anything else about the character. And then I was, I always had this, this very visceral reaction of like, you fucking coward, you fucking coward. Just fucking tell me what your fucking character looks like. Tell me what your fucking character is doing or tell me what this fucking place looks like because I viewed it as cowardice because you were too afraid to offend any person in your audience. Like if this person thought this character was like this and you were to say that they weren't, well, now this person doesn't like it anymore. So you're not committing to an idea. And and I hated death of the author. I hated all of that shit. As I've gotten older, that's changed. And I understand the value of leaving things open to your audience's imagination. There is a huge value in that. It's also tricky to write because I've actually fallen prey to this, the mirror scene where you describe your character because they're looking in a mirror and they're Mm -hmm. like admiring their black locks or whatever the fuck. Raven tresses. That sort of stuff is really tough. Yeah, you have to have someone else describe them perhaps. And Mm -hmm. do I describe you as as a man wearing glasses and brown mid-length hair? No, (laughs) I don't. That's not how I describe Wes. He's my buddy Wes. He's a tree person. I'm a tree man. He'll stomp on you. It's great. Yeah. Like that doesn't describe what you look like. So someone could sketch you though. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really tough to fall into, should I be describing this person so I can sketch them? Should I play the looks like game? So that they look like Heather Locklear with uh, red hair or something like, is that Mm -hmm. what you should do in case people know what those actors or actresses look like? Uh, it's really tough, really tough to do that. So I just try and not at yeah. all. And also when describing like places, it's 
typically the things that have impressed upon me, the crunching of leaves underfoot, or the way that uh, when you're walking through a field, the dew will uh, lick against your legs as you walk or something like that. Maybe not the particular type of grass that it is so Mm -hmm. much, or that it's green even, so much so that it's uh, really a figurative, impressionistic look of walking through a field. And hopefully those are the things that stick with other people when they walk through fields or across leaf-strewn cobblestones. And it is affordable. You can get all three of them for cheap. That's one thing I really dig about Kindle, what they did right now, is that because it's a series... You can get the whole thing for under $10 in Kindle, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And you also have uh, hardcover editions of this version, correct? Yeah, I did all three at once, too. It's been sort of a slow release. I'll be putting up more promotion material far mm-hmm. and wide on Halloween. So by the time you hear this, probably there's going to be more wide promotion and it'll be more widely available. But yeah, all three versions, because they only recently allowed hardcover versions on Kindle. It was a beta project at first, but now they are all available at once. So I busted my butt to get all three of them ready at the same time. So Kindle paperback and hardcover are all available. The hardcovers are really gorgeous. So yeah, highly recommend those, but they are more pricey. I, I really wanted to get them. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I got your, because um, I have the other two versions of Prelude Eve on paperback. So I wanted to just have the trilogy in paperback, but I want to go back and I want to get them in hardcover because, you know, as my philosophy is, when your friend uh, releases a book, you buy that book. What I need is a trillion dollars and then I'll get copies of them all in a hardcover and create box sets for people. I would love to do that. The cost is a bit much. I was wondering about that. Would you ever consider, maybe not a box set, but putting all three in one tome? like a collector's edition of like all three books in one hardcover edition? Or is that too expensive? Not really. No, I would really like to do that. And I think I'd have to give it a lot of time though, because I'm not sure if I'll ever do a Prey Lady 4. At mm-hmm. this point, I've got two other stories that aren't in- contained out of all the short stories that I've ever written. I've got mm-hmm. two stories that are not within Prey Lady 1, 2, or 3. So I could do a Prey Lady 4 or I could just be done with Prelide Eve entirely and turn my attention to noveling and any short stories that are out there just Mm -hmm. won't be available Mm -hmm. in a collection like this. Or the one or two short stories that are sort of outliers right now Mm -hmm. in say 10 years or something, create a compendium that has all three books contained in one. I think a 10 year goal for that probably is the, the most sensical. Give lots of time for people to have read and enjoyed these three as they are. And then maybe do a revised edition some other day. Or maybe it'll be re-released with a publisher. Who knows? I'm not sure. So someday I've thought about it. I've thought quite seriously about it. But I don't know. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.